Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? We are going to talk about an ugly word today. It's heretic. Um, it's an ugly word, but we have to look at it. Um, this is part 22 of my long series of whole, both body and soul, why I'm Catholic. Let's get started. So the word Christianity may need to go away for a while, like on a desert retreat. It needs to go off to a sweat lodge with St. Anthony of Egypt again for a while so it can figure out what Jesus intended. Um, few Protestant denominations remain that teach what Christianity really entails or demands. Uh, the familiarity of it has bred contempt and complacency, which has led to extremely watered-down versions. This is exactly why St. Anthony and the Desert Fathers exited the culture in the 3rd century, long, long ago. Even back then, it had been diluted into like a cheap barbecue lighter fluid instead of the explosive 100% ethanol it was on Pentecost. Today, it can be restored to be highly flammable once again, but it won't be done by trying to be cool in the culture or by flopping around, speaking in tongues or doing fake healings or by affirming sin or denying that the devil exists. No, it will be restored to its original strange potency and its weirdness by the same old proven methods of prayer, fasting, and charity. But once again, like in the time of the Desert Fathers, the errors that led people away from proper worship and correct doctrine must be revisited because they've been allowed back in. All of them, really. It's almost as if a busload of old heresies showed up at the pool and they barged right in without checking their floaties and their food and weapons and drugs at the door. And many of them don't even bother to wear a swimsuit as modesty and sin are old-fashioned. And now the pool is in mayhem, and there's only a few lifeguards in red hats shouting while others have joined in the orgy. Fortunately, the party's almost over because it has become a pool fewer and fewer people want to swim in, which is what has to happen to clean it up. The newcomers and families who would like to swim take one look at the chaos and decide to stay home, uh, maybe put up their own pool in the backyard. Um, isolation, we're all isolating to our own little backyards. But the heresies have stunk up the water to the point that the Christian pool is like kind of like a swamp lagoon uh, right now. And now it will require a lockdown for cleaning, closed for cleaning and after draining, probably a full sandblasting on the walls before it's refilled with the fresh water. The intense, long battle against errors about who Jesus was and what, he, what Jesus said and what he taught, it was waged over centuries and it kind of needs to be waged all over again. Today, it's not even clear that people understand the word heresy. And to be fair, it is an ugly word. Heretic combines two sounds that make Minnesotans like me shiver. Hair and tick. And this sounds like a burrowing insect at the base of my hairline. Where I live, uh, ticks raise goosebumps on people more than snakes. Whenever I'm dis I've discovered one engorged on a dog's belly or I see one climbing on my shirt after a walk in the woods, it gives me a real case of the heebie-jeebies. <clears throat> but perhaps this strange association is actually appropriate because a tick buried in skin kind of fits well with what heresy does because a tiny corruption like that caused by a tick lodging in your skin, a little bite, is much like how a heretical idea poisons and corrupts individuals or entire nations. Heresy is actually not unlike Lyme disease in that it often has a subtle entry point but leads to an insidious devastation of the body as it spreads. But the idea of heresy is something people don't even like to talk about. But I think it needs to be. We have to look at it. 
I doubt that the average Joe Christian has ever heard of Marcionism or Pelagianism or any other heresy, but many today of us certainly speak those heresies openly. Um, ideas long ago denounced as unchristian are mentioned as if they were orthodox in casual, casual conversation. Some of this I blame on country music, but anyway, that's another story. But this isn't surprising given the past few centuries of rejecting all authority. Most everyone now is their own pope. So even if I mentioned the basics of a heresy, my listener would respond, who made you the pope? And to which I would answer, do you see a funny hat on me? And I'd probably add, long ago, after a big to-do, the church declared in one of their councils, dot, 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 and that's exactly where the conversation would end because the appeal to authority beyond the self would outrage the listener. The church has entered the chat. When that happens, the modern American or Protestant or public school brain exits the chat. It's over. Authority? Are you claiming authority? Are you, are you kidding me? We have hundreds of years of literature and philosophy and theology crammed between our ears where the only authority is either in national power or in the self. Um, America itself is a rejection of old world, quote, authority. But this continual march of our rejection of authority has put the West at a, in, a, in an odd state. Because once the highest authority of God and his church was thrown out and the Pope was put in the corner in Vatican City, the, the nations now must act as the moral authority. And we've all seen how that plays out. Um, but they've been doing this for about three centuries. Um, mentioning the church's authority leads to an automatic response, almost like a nervous system response, like a trained bear um, that can dance. The hearer just waltzes off stage on cue when you mention papal authority or something like that. Or more likely today than ever, uh, the bear just attacks and mauls the trainer, the authority. Um, what's most interesting today is that in our rejection of authority, so few people are called to the priesthood, but almost everyone is called to the pontificate to be the Pope. Uh, the word pontiff actually means bridge builder, but with a billion mini popes in the world, we have we end up having a lot of bridges to nowhere because all of the bridges lead directly back to the self. This isn't just an issue among Protestants or, say, agnostics. Um, it's rampant within the Catholic Church, too. Uh, so many people don't know what the teaching of the Church is that you can hear the echoes of ancient arrows, errors every day, even among bishops. Imagine that. Imagine bishops that don't understand the heresies or errors that have existed for thousands of years. You don't have to imagine it. It's actually happening all over in certain places in Europe and the United States. So this is like the equivalent of an NFL coach not knowing what a first down is or what a nickel defense is used for. I mean, could you imagine a coach who worked for 30 years to reach the top to get to the NFL and then have it be revealed that he thought the game was soccer? No, you can't imagine that. It seems almost impossible unless somehow you have like cronyism or ideology or both interfering with the proper prom promotion of educated and competent bishops. But we do have this happening. Um, the creep of heresy gets in like a tick. It's like Soviet science or modern American sociology where ideology has replaced the goal of seeking the truth, the highest truth. It's, um, and it replays over and over in history. 
it's Plato versus the Sophists or Aristotle versus Rousseau. It's Athanasius versus Arius. It's Augustine versus Pelagius. It's Karl Marx versus Pope Leo XIII. Heresy is ideology that bleeds in into faith. It skews the right understanding of God, the Trinity. It skews our understanding of Jesus, the sacraments, and the whole church. And it always starts with the rejection of God in some form and the elevation of what a person wants or a group of people. Stanley Hauerwas, I think I said that right, said, blessed are the heretics. And what he meant by this was that without those people pushing errors and bad ideas, we wouldn't get to see the truth so clearly. So luckily, we have Marcion and Pelagius and Nestorius to illustrate the errors to us in history so that we can recognize them again when they come back. Their ideas act like bugs on a windshield where you don't need to stop and clean it until it gets really bad. And then once there's enough bugs splattered um, in a July hot, hot July night, then you have to pull over at the nearest service station and squeegee like a maniac with elbow grease to get the encrusted scum off. Sin works this way. Um, sin is not a big deal until it is. Um, until your sin is going to cause a major accident and maybe even kill you, you don't take action to fix the disorder. So heresy is like that same thing. When you hear a bishop defending an old heresy today, often with new words, um, what was called heresy long ago, it leads to confusion for the team because these are they are like the coaches, you know. Um, trust in leadership is undermined, especially when, say, the water boy understands the game better than the coach. You cannot have like the offensive coordinator telling the running backs that from now on they're going to run backwards. That wouldn't work and it wouldn't make any sense. If that ever happened in the NFL, you know, somebody would be fired immediately the next day. But we're not seeing firings despite wild errors in our coaches, um, really, from those in charge of the church right now. And I don't mean to bash them because I think they move slowly. Um, the church moves slowly, which is good since they, they kind of operate like the Ents, the trees in the Lord of the Rings. I think I've said this before that anything worth saying is worth taking a long time to say it. And this is one of the great features of the church so that they don't jump to conclusions or follow the culture or follow a current um, fashionable science or or those kind of things. There is something called, uh, quote, the Peter principle, which has nothing to do with St. Peter of the church, but simply simply states that people will be promoted in their career to one level higher than they should be right to the point in their career where they are incompetent. And this doesn't apply, obviously, to all bishops, um, but just a few. But whenever you hear a high-ranking person um, teaching an idea that was jettisoned as an error many centuries ago, you have to scratch your head and wonder how or why God is working through this. But of course, he is. Somehow, he is. Um, Rest assured, God is always doing that. Errors about Christianity are ever-present in both the culture and the church, and I suspect this has been the case since Peter finished his first speech on the day of Pentecost. Surely, strange interpretations began immediately after he was finished. I have no doubt. There are um, there are many bishops sticking to doctrine and the truth, and I really enjoy listening to like Bishop Barron. Um, he does a beautiful job of articulating the faith, and he follows in a great line of, of articulators from the last 20 centuries, like St. Cyril, Maximus, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John of Damascus, John Henry Newman, Fulton Sheen, and many, many others. So 
recently when I was teaching a Wednesday night class at my local parish, a kid raised his hand and told me, my dad says that Jesus is the good God and the God of the Old Testament was the one that would just squash you. And I, kid, I said, your dad's a heretic. I'm kidding. I didn't say that. Um, kid, I said, have you ever heard of Marcion? <clears throat> just kidding. I didn't say that either. Um, how many adults today have heard of Marcion? Who, who has ever heard of Marcion or Menander or the Cathars? Um, few today have heard of these old names, except for some geeky Catholics who know about the ecumenical councils where the early church had to settle these disputes. Um, these old heresies argued for exactly what this kid's dad was teaching him. And this idea springs up repeatedly. And if we haven't heard of Marcion, We've certainly heard of Nazi Germany, which was rife with Marcionism as an offshoot of its hatred and ethnic cleansing of the Jews, of the genocide. So, um, by the way, here's a tip. Marcionism always goes hand in hand with anti-Old Testament thinking, and it makes a beeline toward anti-Jewish thinking and behavior. And any time that Catholicism lacks respect for the Jews, it is an error. It is an error every time. And this is why the document known as Nostra Aetate, if I said that right in Latin, was, was sorely needed as a reminder that the church recalls that the apostles the, and the, the church's mainstay and pillars, as well as most of the early disciples who proclaimed Christ's gospel to the world, sprang from the Jewish people. So Marcionism is kind of a rejection of the Jewish people, of the chosen people, of the Old Testament, of the God of the Old Testament. There's there's a whole bunch of things and there's different heresies that kind of relate to it as well. So, but I have to add here when I'm just going to, just since we're talking a little bit about Marcion and Marcionism, um, he was a person who, who said exactly what this kid was saying. Um, but if Jesus is God and, and if you believe that as I do, then he inspired the Old Testament, including the parts that are confusing. And Jesus was a devout Jew himself, as was his mother, Mary, and his stepfather, Joseph. So for any Catholic to misunderstand the intensely deep meaning of the Jewish roots of Christianity is to be like the sower's seed on the rocky path. You'll just get eaten up by the birds. If Jesus is God, and if scripture is inspired by God, and all of the prophecies of the Messiah were foretold by God, and the story of the chosen people is God winning back the world, then throwing out the Old Testament seems like a bad idea all around. So the kid's father who taught Marcionism was doing the same thing that writers like Dan Brown does in his novels. He finds an old heresy, he dusts it off and, and presents it as something fresh and new. And, you know, then it's presented as a fact, as a new orthodoxy. And then believers have to spend lots of time re-arguing what has already been argued and ruled upon. And this, this is actually one of the strengths of the church um, in that we have a structure that can do this, that can deal with these, um, these, these errors. We can all see the pro that Protestants lack this authority to, to make rulings or decisions. And that's what leads to heresy proliferating all around like a cytokine storm. That's why you have 10,000 denominations of Protestants now. Truly, if there's one weakness in the Eastern Orthodox churches is that they can't resolve disputes like the Catholic Church can because the Bishop of Rome can speak from the chair of Peter as Christ gave Peter the keys, which is to say, the authority, the word that no one likes. 
What's old is new, but none of the heresies are actually new. Um, you can go read St. Irenaeus, who wrote a book called Against Heresies in, I believe, the second century. And most heresies today were already in play then that are here again now. Um, over time, new errors have come about and new twists. It's always a little twist on it. That's kind of how the devil works anyway, just twists things a little bit. And over the centuries, others have written books to define these errors and refute them um, and tell us why are there errors, like St. Alphonsus Liguori with his history of heresies. Um, there are many others that have written things like St. Hippolytus of Rome. Um, Denzinger wrote like incredible things on uh, everything. Um, Belloc. Um, fortunately, we don't have to go read all of these. Uh, we can just read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's like the Reader's Digest condensed version of about a million pages or, or more and, and all these scrolls from the past, from uh, Adam, the first man, all the way down to Pope Francis. The Catechism is a great gift treasure from the Church for us to read. Now, there's a reason that these ideas come back to life, and it's because we default toward doubt not faith. And faith is a gift. With the eyes of faith, the heresies are clear as the scales fall away from our vision once we see Christ for who he really is, and that is God. Once you can see Jesus and hear the word of God, then it's clear why none of the heresies work in practice, or logically, or spiritually. This is why they don't stick. They are kind of like an old navy shirt. They, it feels good for a bit, but you can tell after a couple washings how cheap it is, and you just throw it out after a few years. The heresies sound good when you first discover them. They seem to make sense, and this is why it took me a while to figure out that everything that Dan Brown writes is actually a spoof comedy, not a drama, um, because his send-ups of heresy as truth um, and his adventures in bad history lessons, um, it, I had to rearrange my video shelf so that the Da Vinci Code sits right next to Dumb and Dumber. Um, and when I need a lighthearted night to let loose, I can choose either movie. Um, the reason heresy is declared and marked off as incorrect is not about power and control. It's about what heresies do and what they don't do. It's about how they misunderstand Jesus and salvation history. It's about a false way to know God. The reason heresies are declared is simple. They don't work. They don't work logically or spiritually. And they do not work in the mind. They do not work in the soul. And they do not work in the body. And this is the thing I've been saying in this entire series in kind of talking about sales and practical application. There are many shiny things that seem real. But like advertising on bad products, those things wind up being a mirage in the desert. What works is not just that which sells. Consumers and voters may select bad choices, and mistakes play out over time long after the sale was made. What becomes heresy is not based on popular opinion, but based on what happens when an error is chosen. There is perhaps nothing more vindicating in the church's slowness than in its rejection of the birth control and abortion arguments, as both of these cure-all remedies of the this techno-utopian evangelism, they've all blown up spectacularly. Because what was supposed to solve divorce and unhappiness and family problems has exploded in divorce, unhappiness, and family problems. I mean, the mental health crisis. Goodness. It's, it's so, they're all so related to the rejection of God and the adoption of these techno-solutions 
um, even as we stare into our phones. Anyway, um, what works is that which lasts and endures through the ages. What works isn't always what seems easy, but what works satisfies the intellect, the will, the body, and the soul. So virtue works. Chastity works. Humility works. Faith works. Hooking up with random sex partners and pretending it doesn't matter? That doesn't work. Uh, how about the latest one of shout, shout your abortion? That doesn't work. Uh, believe in yourself instead of something higher? That doesn't work either. Perception is reality? No, that doesn't work because reality is a rude awakening for those who say perception is reality. All of these ideas run into the rock of life, the true test. That's where bad ideas run aground. But we forget this. We forget it every generation, really, and we relearn it in every generation. We forget the truth, capital T, because we want to be new and clever, but the bad ideas are always old and warmed up leftovers. And this is why someone like the great, <laughs> not great, philosopher John Paul Sartre can be celebrated for like 100 years because he said God is dead or Nietzsche or whoever. But they're really just saying the same thing every middle schooler has said since the beginning of time. But when you say that with a PhD, it seems to have weight, despite the long-winded argument being the result of never growing past the high school rebellious phase, never really growing up, I guess. What happens then is that everyone else, also stuck in that sort of ninth grade mode, rejecting authority, they clap their hands and say, brilliant, because it satisfies their egos and excuses their sin. But keep living, keep living, sin catches up. God reveals himself in very interesting ways. This is why the same heresies pop up and die over and over again, because heresies are exactly like dandelions. Uh, orthodoxy, however, is like a redwood tree. Hardwoods grow slowly, apparently weak as saplings, while the wild and fast-growing grasses spring up quickly in the spring. But what is apparently hale and hardy in spring dies in the autumn. And the hardwoods always win in the end because they are built to last through the seasons of life, and that includes the winter of suffering. To go back to the sports metaphor, Catholicism is a fourth quarter faith. It's not for the first drive down the field or for the halftime show. It's built for the last drive that wins the game. It's for the long haul made to last, not for showing off and then fading away. So finally, to bring this back to the heresy, to heresy and Marcion, Marcion of Sinope, Sinope, I don't know how to say it. You have to read about Marcion to understand why his idea of the Old Testament God is not the same as the New Testament God, is why that's an error all by itself, and why it's a very dangerous one at that, because it twists scripture into a wildly different shape. Now, in the early church, Tertullian and others took up the battle, and they won the argument against him, closing the door on Marcionism forever as an error in what the church founded by Jesus believes. And then, of course, it comes back. But um, And it's not a because-I-said-so argument and defense. That's not how the church defies heresies or defines them. Um, it is a well-reasoned and logical argument, and it's worth exploring, really. 
um, many of the modern people who see Jesus as the dude, the big Lebowski, who's just like some cool guy that hangs out. Um, those are arguments that are kind of a form of Marcionism. Just as much um, anti-Semitism has a taproot in Marcionism as, as other heresies. So, But if I don't stop here, this post will turn into a lengthy discussion on, on this particular heresy. So I'm going to move forward. I have more to come in a part two. Um, I would really, it would be really be great to have a whole series on each of these heresies, but that may require a more focused person than myself. And many others have already written books on it that are better than what I can. So um, stay tuned for part two. We'll talk a little bit more about heresy, the ugly word, the thing that we, we don't want to look at, but we have to look at. Thanks for listening, everyone.